Holy Surrendered. What a powerful song. What an honor it is to preach on the person and the work of the Holy Spirit. In theological terms, this is called pneumatology, the study of the dynamic working of the Holy Spirit of God. This is going to be a very theological, uh, doctrinal sermon today. And some of you are going, oh, wow, that's the best news I've heard all day. This is going to just put me to sleep. Yawn, yawn, yawn. This is going to be a very theological, doctrinal sermon, but it's also going to be very practical, especially toward the end uh, of the sermon, as I share with you how to be filled with the Holy Spirit. When's the last time you heard a sermon on the Holy Spirit in a Baptist church? Amen. It's kind of like we're, it's taboo. It's almost like he is forbidden territory. And so God has really impressed upon my heart to preach this message on uh, the Holy Spirit. Speaking of doctrine, I'm getting really excited about in the fall, in the spring, I don't know how all this is going to go down, but as your pastor, I'm going to take about 20 weeks, early one morning during the week, and I'm going to teach on the doctrines of the faith, systematic theology. For any of you brave souls who want to get up real early, maybe on a Thursday morning for about 20 weeks, some of you going, I hope you enjoy being by yourself, brother, because I don't know many people who want to do that. You'll be surprised at the number of people who will get up very early, come in here, and let me teach you for about an hour on the historic doctrines of the faith. So I'm looking forward to, to that. So preaching on the, the Holy Spirit. You know, the Bible has so much to say about the Holy Spirit and who He is and what He does in the lives of not only believers, but in also in the lives of unbelievers. In John chapter 14 through 16, this is known as the theological treatise on pneumatology on the doctrine of the person and the work uh, of the Holy Spirit of God. So today what I'm going to do is I'm going to walk you through a number uh, of verses in the Bible that pertain to the Holy Spirit. Now, this is not an exhaustive sermon, meaning I'm not going to cover everything in a few minutes about this awesome study that we're going to look at today. As I said earlier, we really need about a, a year one of the best books I ever read, I read this when I was a student, top five books that I ever read in my life. It's called The Holy Spirit and His Gifts. It's written by a man by the name of Oswald Sanders, not Chambers, but Oswald Sanders, The Holy Spirit and His Gifts. Uh, one of my favorite people in all the world went to be with the Lord last year and went to his funeral. It was very, very emotional. His name was Dr. Roy Fish, and he was an, an evangelism professor at Southwestern Seminary. And when I was a young minister uh, leaving college, my pastor told me, go to Southwestern Seminary in Fort Worth, Texas, and take Dr. Fish for everything he teaches. And I did. I took him for everything he taught in the Ph.D. level and the master's level. And my life was extremely blessed. And my favorite lecture that he ever did was this one on the Holy Spirit. I'm telling you, I was just mesmerized. For an hour, I sat there, and I don't know, maybe it's just my Baptist upbringings. I did not know much about the Holy Spirit. And I know a lot about God the Father, and I know a lot about God the Son, but I did not know a lot about God the Holy Spirit. And he lectured on the Holy Spirit. And I went up to him. I was very shy, very quiet. I know you find that hard to believe, but I was very shy, very quiet, still am in many ways. And I went up to him and just shook his hand and said, thank you. That was the most powerful lecture I've ever heard in my life. So let's talk a minute about the Holy Spirit and just an overview. Historic Christianity says that our God is one who has revealed himself in three persons. One in three and three in one. Okay? 
Now, whenever you err to the left of that, you're going to have problems. Whenever you err to the right of that, you're going to have problems. When you err to the left, it's called modalism. Modalism says there's only one God, but He has existed through the ages in three modes or three modalities. And the early church said, well, that is heresy because God has always existed as one but he's also a three persons. Now, the other error is tritheism. Tritheism is just the opposite of modalism. Instead of stressing the one, they stress the three. They say, God's not one. We serve three gods. And the Muslims, they think we have three gods. They'll come up to us and say, y'all are polytheistic and we cannot embrace your faith. They don't understand there's this awesome mystery that God is one and yet he is three and he is three and yet he is one. He has always existed as Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Now, they are one and yet they have different roles and different functions. Ontologically, in their essence and who they are, they are, they are the same. But in functionality... Well, that they're different. The Bible says that God the Father sent His Son to redeem the world. And Jesus in John chapter 16 says, And I will send you the Holy Spirit who will teach you all things. And so you have this, uh, you have this same essence and yet different uh, functions. You know, the Holy Spirit, He is awesome. And I sense Him in this room today and you know, it's amazing when you read overseas how the Holy Spirit of God is like a mighty conflagration. It's like a mighty fire that is he's sweeping across many places in China and other places in Asia and Africa and even in places like Syria and Lebanon. True story, just read this the other day. I want to share this with you. Because of something Jesus said, he said this in John chapter 16, verse 14. The Holy Spirit glorifies me, Jesus said, and he declares the message of me to you. In Lebanon, there was a, um, a, a lady, a widow lady, a Muslim widow lady and her three children. And she has fled to Lebanon in a refugee place because of the war in Syria. As you know, there is an outrageous war battling in the country of Syria. And there's a debate whether chemical weapons are being used or not. It's such a sad 100,000 people. Can you get your mind around that for a moment? Have fled their homeland of Syria, and they're in a refugee camp on the border there of Lebanon. And there's a mission team, a Christian team. God bless them. What incredible bravery. They are there. They believe that the Holy Spirit has sent them to give food and the gospel to, the, to those refugees. So they showed up to the refugee center not long ago. And they knocked on the door, and a, a Muslim lady whose husband just passed away, she was in a 40-day prayer and fasting, a mourning for her husband with her veil on and everything. And they knocked on the door, and the lady said, Who are you people? And they said, We are here representing God, and we want to bring you good news, and we want to give you food. And what she did next is absolutely astonishing. She opened the door and pulled down her veil, which is totally taboo in that Islamic culture. You just do not do that. And they were kind of shocked, and, and they said, well, we're kind of surprised that you received us so, so openly. She said, let me tell you about a dream I had last night. And I thought, oh, boy, this is about to get good. 
And those people said, what, what dream? She said, oh, let, me, let me tell you about a dream I had last night. I had a dream. I was sound asleep, and somebody was pounding on my door. So I got up, and I went to the door, and there's nobody there. And so I went back to, back to sleep in my dream, and I'm thinking, this, this, is, this is odd. And then she said, I heard this noise again. And she said, this is not a dream. There's somebody knocking on my door. And so literally, physically, she gets up, she opens the door, and nobody's there. And she says, well, I'm just going to go to sleep here by my door because the next thing that happens, I want to see who's knocking on my door. She went back to sleep, and she had this appearance. This person came to her and said these words. You don't know me, but I know you. You have passed through a great deal of pain. I also experienced great pain. But I will not leave you alone. Tomorrow, I will send you someone who's going to tell you about me. Listen to him. That's the dream that she had. And she said, are you the ones that I saw, I heard about in my dream that were supposed to tell me about this great God? And they said, we are. And so she said, come into my home. And they began to share with her how Jesus Christ is the Messiah of the widows, of the orphans, and the outcast. And then they gave her a Bible. She received that Bible, and they shared the gospel with her and gave her food. And, and then she was not there long. She left and went back into the country of Syria. Now, some of you are going, that freaks me out. What do you mean? How does, what is going on? Let me tell you something, guys. The Holy Spirit of God. He is amazing. He is speaking to people. He is revealing Christ in dreams. He is doing phenomenal, majestic, marvelous, miraculous works all over the globe. It is amazing what God is doing. Often, oftentimes, we, we don't see it in America, and we, and we don't see it in Austin because we're so smart. We're so intelligent. We've got more degrees than a thermometer. I mean, we, we are so educated. And there's one thing that the Spirit of God does not tolerate, and that's arrogance. And so he just moves right by us. <laughs> and he goes to people who are hungry, people who are open, and people who are ready to know him. So today, what I want to do is I want to share this message with you. I'm going to ask you three questions and try to give answers to these rhetorical questions. First of all is, who is the Holy Spirit? Who is the Holy Spirit of God. Well, oftentimes it hurts me, but I hear people refer to the Holy Spirit in, the, uh, in this way, it, I-T. But he is not an it, he is a person. Most of the cultic groups, in fact all the cultic groups, totally miss pneumatology. They, they talk about the Holy Spirit as if he is some Star Wars force, uh, some kind of created essence or spirit totally not on the same plane as the eternal God. But let me tell you what the Bible says about pneumatology. First of all, it says he is a person. In John chapter 14, verse 17, as it comes on the screen, I want you to count the number of times that the personal pronoun is used to refer to the Spirit, the Spirit of truth whom the world cannot receive, because it neither sees him nor knows him but you know him, for he dwells with you and will be in you. Five times, in one verse, Jesus describes the third person of the Godhead, the third person of the Trinity this way. He refers to him as a person. Now, 
The Holy Spirit has all the attributes of a, of a person except a physical body. He speaks. He can be offended. He can give an invitation. And all of these are right from the Scripture. The Bible says in Ephesians 4.30, Do not grieve the Holy Spirit of God. The Bible says in John 14.26, look at this, The Holy Spirit, the Helper, whom the Father will send in my name, He will teach you. Now, now stay with me, Great Hills. Watch this. How do you teach unless you're a person? <laughs> Last I checked, an inanimate object cannot teach. You have to be a person in order to teach. The Holy Spirit will teach you all things, and He will bring to remembrance all things that I said unto you. Revelation 22, 17, the Holy Spirit and the bride of Christ, meaning the church, they say, they say, how do you mean they say? What, a spirit saying? Yes, the Spirit of God is a person, and He speaks, and He says, and let him who hears come and let him who thirsts come. So number one, the Holy Spirit is not an it. He is a person. Number two, he is God. And I want to give you three verses that will demonstrate the deity of the Holy Spirit. First of all, when you see the Holy Spirit mentioned, especially in the New Testament, oftentimes you will see him within the same terminology as God the Father and God the Son, and he is on the same equal plane. For example, look at 1 Peter chapter 1, verse 2. Now, notice this carefully. In this statement, you're going to find all three of the Godhead of the persons are there. Look, according to the foreknowledge of God the Father, in sanctification of the Holy Spirit, for obedience and sprinkling of blood of Jesus Christ. Grace to you and peace be multiplied. Are you with me, church? I mean, there it is. In black and white, this Holy Spirit, He is on the same plane as Father and son. What about this one? This one. And go ye therefore into all the nations and make disciples and baptize them, Matthew 28, 19, in the name of, somebody help me, the Father, the Son, and who? Okay, let me give you one more. This is my favorite. In the book of Acts, the early church was exploding in growth. And there was a couple named Ananias and Sapphira, and, Sapphira, and they, she, they came and they lied about their property. And, and they didn't have to lie about it. I mean, it was already theirs, but they said, we sold it for this much, but we're just giving it all to you. And they weren't giving it all. They were holding back. And Peter said, Ananias, why has Satan filled your heart to lie to thee? What does it say? Help me. Okay. You've lied to the Holy Spirit. And you've kept back part of the price of the land for yourself. While it remained, was it not your own? And after it was sold, was it not in your own control? Watch this. Conceive this. Have you conceived this thing in your heart? You have not lied to men, but you have lied to... How about that? What did he say just a breath ago? You have lied to the Holy Spirit. And then Peter says in the, in the next sentence, you have lied unto God. It's amazing. He is not an it. He is a person, and not only is he a person, but he is God, God, the Holy Spirit. In the Old Testament, we read about him, the Holy Spirit, he would come upon people, and he would leave people. You remember that? In the Old Testament, the Spirit of God would come upon him, and, and David would cry out, don't, don't take your Holy Spirit from me. Now, when you come to the book of Acts, 
and the birth of the local church, the New Testament, mm, mm, the birth of the church of the living God. In Acts chapter 2, the Bible says he came down. And when he came down, the Holy Spirit, he comes in us never to leave us, never to remove himself from us. Because when we believe on this awesome, triune, holy, amazing God, when God the Father draws us to God the Son, we believe on Jesus Christ and the Holy Spirit of God comes within mere mortal man. Wow! What an amazing truth. What an amazing doctrine. So that's who he is. Number two, what is his role? What does he do in the life of a believer? How does he work in the life of a believer? Well, number one, or A, and by the way, I know you've given you this outline, and it's, it's full. And if you don't get all of it, just call our church office or go to the website, and you can download the whole manuscript. Every sermon I ever preach is five or six pages, single-spaced manuscript, okay? And if you want it for $19.95, I'll be glad to give it to you. You know I'm kidding. I'll give it to you free of charge. All you got to do is ask or ask Miss Kathy, and we'll get it to you. So, number one, he indwells and seals the believer at the moment of conversion. Please write that down. He indwells us and seals us at the moment of conversion. 1 Corinthians 12, 13 says, We are all baptized by the Holy Spirit into the body of Christ. You see, you receive the Holy Spirit of God at the moment you confess Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior. It's not like God gives you a little bit of His Holy Spirit and then later you get the subsequent second blessing. That is not taught in Scripture. What is taught in Scripture is when you believe on the Son, the Holy Spirit of God, He baptizes you, He indwells you, He seals you, never to depart from you, and I don't care what you do, you could never break His seal. We call this, once saved, you're always saved. Once you are genuinely born again by the Spirit, He never uh, departs from you. Let me give you a couple of scriptures. Ooh, man, look at this. Ephesians 1, 13 and 14. Here it is. In Him you also trusted Christ, okay, after you heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation, in whom also, once you believed, watch this, you were sealed with the Holy Spirit of promise. Who? How about that? Not it. Who? The Spirit is the guarantee of our inheritance until the redemption of the purchased possession to the praise of His glory. The Holy Spirit is the down payment, if you will. is the Spirit of God coming within us once we believe. And you cannot break that seal. Now, Ephesians 4.30 to me, is the definitive text in all the Bible about the security of the Christian. It says these words, Do not grieve the Holy Spirit of God by whom you were sealed for the day of redemption. Let me ask you this. How do you break a divine seal? You can't. When we say we are Christians but we can lose our salvation, what we are saying is God is unable we are beginning to talk now about the inability of God to keep that which he once had. I don't know about you, friend, but inability and God do not belong in the same sentence. I mean, God is 
able. Listen, our theology is so truncated, it's so twisted, and it's so weak, we will actually get to a place where we believe, oh, I can lose my salvation. Let me tell you something, friend. You didn't earn it, and you ain't going to lose it. God saves you. He seals you. Isn't that awesome to know that when you die, you go to heaven, not because of what you've done, but for what Jesus did, and the Holy Spirit of God lives in you, man, you can live in freedom. Man, you can live in joy. You can live in peace. Does that mean you'll never sin again? No. You're going to sin, but you just say, God, please forgive me. But aren't you glad to know? You sin, you drive down the road, you have a car wreck, and you die, and you don't go to hell. Isn't that good? I didn't have time to confess that sin. He's got you covered. How's that? Amen. <laughs> Who's that? Was that a Baptist? Come on. I love that. You are welcome anytime. All right, let's keep going. Oh, oh there's so much. He indwells us, He seals us, and He begins to work in us. And the way we know the Spirit of God lives in us is because we produce what is called the fruit of the Holy Spirit. God begins to produce in us this amazing likeness to Jesus. And so the Bible says the fruit of the Holy Spirit is, y'all ready for this? Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. That is the that is the fruit of, of the Spirit of God working in you and me, conforming us, shaving off those hard, rough edges, and conforming us more to the image of Jesus. Let me tell you something, friend. The way we know we are of God is because we begin to resemble His Son. And the Spirit of God is the one working in us, and He is sanctifying us. He is changing us. And the fruit of the Holy Spirit is being manifested in us because the Holy Spirit of God lives within us. We are not our own anymore. We are God's. And now on this journey on earth, we are being sanctified. We are being changed. We are being molded. We are being remade so that one glorious day when we die, we go before old buddy God, and God says, come on into my house. Woo! Glory to God. The Holy Spirit of God. He, he indwells us, and He seals us, and He gives us this amazing fruit. He also fills us. Fills us. Now, in Ephesians 5.18, we're going to put this on the screen. I want you to look at this real quick. Do not be drunk with wine, wherein is excess. But keep on yourself being filled with the Holy Spirit. We got so many Baptists that believe that first line, don't you be drinking, but they completely forget the most important part, and that's be filled with the Spirit of God. When the, literally, it's a present passive imperative. It means you, yourself, Daily, ongoingly, continually, yourself being filled with the Holy Spirit of God. I'm laughing because Roy Fish used to say we are leaky vessels. Now, that's not good theology, but I get his point. We sin. We grieve the Spirit. We quench the Spirit. I had another professor in a Baptist seminary tell me every day, pray this prayer and ask the Holy Spirit of God to fill you. And I want you all to know, for about 25 years, every day, I have been praying the following prayer, 
And it's kind of easy to remember because it all starts with an R, okay? And here we go. Recognize you need to be filled with the Holy Spirit. Every day, recognize it. Say, God, I am sinful. And even though I am saved and I'm on my way to heaven, I have quenched you and I have grieved you and I am sorry. Recognize that, okay? Repent. Say, Lord, I am sorry. I turn away from my sin and ask you to forgive me. Request. Holy Spirit of God, afresh and anew this day, would you fill me and then receive the filling of the Spirit of God? And just say, Lord, empty me of me and fill me with you so that the fruit of the Spirit is operative in my life and the gifts that you have given me, I do those. And, Lord, I surrender myself unto you. He gives us this. He fills us with his awesome person to make us more like Christ. 1 Thessalonians 5, 19 says, Do not quench his spirit. And I love this translation. Do not put out the spirit's fire. Okay? So he indwells and seals. He gives fruit. He also fills us. But one more. He gives gifts for the building up of his church. Now we're way into the doctrinal part. Okay, we ain't got to the real practical part yet, but just, just stay with me. He gives gifts unto his church. Read Romans 12, 1 Corinthians 12, 1 Peter 4, Ephesians 4. Those are four great texts that deal with the Holy Spirit giving us his children gifts. I believe God gives us more than one gift. I believe that we are multi-gifted by the Holy Spirit to serve the body of Christ. Now, 1 Peter 4.10 says this. Son, this is good. Watch this. Each one of you should use whatever gift you have received to serve others. What? 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 I am to receive a gift in order that I might serve somebody else? What in heaven's name is that? As faithful stewards of God's grace... In its various forms. And then it goes and tells you those various gifts. My gifts are the gift of edification and teaching and prophecy. Those are my gifts. And I try to, and and encouragement, I try to give those gifts. Listen, every one of you, if you are a Christian, you have received this awesome gift of the Holy Spirit. And it is not to be used on you. It is to be used by you. For the blessing and edification of the church. Now let's talk about ecclesiology for a moment. A study was done just a few years ago by by a man by the name of Wynn. W-I-N. His parents named him Wynn. It's better than naming him Loser, you know, but they named him Wynn. So Wynn Arn, A-R-N, is his name. He surveyed. Now listen to this. 1,000 churches in America. Now, now let's, let's stay with me. Not 1,000 Christians. 1,000 churches, multiple people in those churches, and he asked them one question. What is the purpose of the church? Okay? Almost 90% said, 
The purpose of the church of Jesus Christ, at least in America, is to meet my needs. That is heresy. The purpose of the church is not to meet your needs. The purpose of the church is for you to use your gifts to meet the needs of others. Listen, guys, that is revolutionary teaching in America Christendom today. This teaching is from the Lord. Hear the word of God. You have received a gift. Now use it for the glory of God. Oh, preacher, I wish we would get this. I wish our people could understand that when you come to Great Hills Baptist Church, it's about Jesus, and it's about you serving and loving and helping and not judging and being offended. And I tell you what, in all my years of living and preaching, I've never seen such a prevailing spirit of offense and preference as I do at Great Hills Baptist Church. There's that spirit of entitlement. And, and then I've been getting this, and I've gotten this a lot, and praise God, I think we're about through with that. Can I just jump up and down? Glory to God. That's about over. That people say, well, if you don't do this, then I'm leaving. You know, if you don't do this, then I, I'm offended by that. And I'm just saying, I think those folks have left, and I think the people that really want to be here and get this, hey, mm, mm, Man, we are in this to serve God. It's not about us, preacher. It's all about Jesus. And we're going to serve him. We're going to love him. We're going to live for him. Woo! Glory to God. Man, I might just get Baptocostal on y'all here in a bit, all right? I'm telling you guys, this is just, it is just liberating. It is freeing to see the church of God being blessed and built here. Now, I've had four families come up to me today or, or this week and say, man, we're leaving the church. And I'm like, oh, but their jobs are transferring them. And I'm like, one, one guy came to me today and says, is there a way we can sabotage the Hatleys, you know, and make sure that they don't leave the church? And no, we can't do those ungodly things, you know. We, listen, there are people that God is picking up. He's picking up some of our choice people, and he's moving them out. And here's what I think God's going to do. He's going to say, God bless you. We love you. Here comes a whole bunch more. They're going to come in. Their jobs have relocated them to Austin. And they're going to, they're going to fall in love with our church. And they're going to say, man, we want to be a part of this. And we want to serve God and love God and, and worship God and be a part of what God is doing at 10,500 Jollyville. And i got to get going. i got to hurry. Okay, here we go. He gives gifts. And finally, he empowers us to witness. Ooh, man. <sighs> Acts 1.8. And when the Holy Spirit comes upon you, you will receive power, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and the uttermost parts of the earth. In Luke 12.12, 12, Jesus said, For the Holy Spirit will teach you in that very hour what you ought to say. In Acts 4.31, it says there's a great correlation. And all the believers were filled with the Spirit of God, and they preached the Word of God with boldness. And so the Holy Spirit does many things in our lives. He seals us. He indwells us. He gives us fruit. He gives us gifts. 
He empowers us to use those gifts for the edification of the body. And then he empowers us to give a verbal witness for him. Now, I'm going to edit my sermon here. i got a lot more to say, but I'm going to edit that out. If you want what's next, just get the manuscript because I'm going to omit a whole section because i got to get to point three. Okay, here we go, point three. What is the Holy Spirit's role in the life of an unbeliever? Okay. The definitive text is John 16.8. We'll look at it on the screen. John 16.8 says, And when he has come, Holy Spirit, when he has come, he will convict the world of sin, of righteousness, and of judgment. When the Holy Spirit comes, he will convict us of our sins. When we have this sense that something is not right. You're sitting here today, and you're not a follower of Christ. And you're watching us on DirecTV, let's say, all across America. Or you're listening online, wherever you might be. Listen to this. When you sense something's not right... I feel separated from God. I, I sense I need Him in my... Oh, let me tell you something. The Holy Spirit of God. He is working in your life. It is He who says things aren't right. You are separated from God. And that's the Holy Spirit's job. He reveals us our sinfulness. Number two, He convicts the world of sin. He convicts the world of righteousness. When the Holy Spirit shows us the righteousness of Jesus. And he shows us our righteousness, which is equal to filthy rags. And, we, and, and that sensation of, how do I strip off these ugly, unrighteous clothes? And how am I clothed in your righteousness so I can go to heaven? And the Holy Spirit says, I can help you there. <laughs> I can help you there. Here's what you need to do. You need to say, God, please forgive me. I know I'm a sinner. Strip off these clothes and enclose me with the righteousness of your son. He convicts the world of sin and righteousness and judgment. When you get this harrowing thought that you are separated from a holy God, a God that has revealed himself in nature, a God that has revealed himself in history, a God who has revealed himself through the Bible, through the Son, Jesus. And when you take all of those revelations and you categorically dismiss them, and then you begin to have this thought, you know what? If I keep on dismissing and dishing God after everything he's done to reveal himself, I deserve to go to hell, and you will. And you will. You say, how, how, do you, how do you know that? Who said that? God says that. But, but here's the thing. You only have yourself to blame. No, no, I'm, I'm, I'm shooting straight with you. When you die, and when many of you sitting here today, and many of you watching on television, when you die and you go to hell, you are only going to have yourself to blame. Because I warned you. I shouted I pled with you. I fasted for your soul. I preached God's word to you. But you stepped on the blood of Jesus Christ. You dismissed him so that you could sleep with your girlfriend. You walked over that person. You could have another orgy and party. And you just walked right into hell. 
And the reason you did is because you bought the devil's lie that he could satisfy you more than a holy God. And I'm here to tell you, don't do it. Believe in Jesus. Cast yourself upon the mercy of God today, dear friend. Today. Before it is eternally too late. Listen, I'm either lying or I'm a lunatic or I am telling you the truth. I'm not asking you all to vote about that. All right? I'm telling you the truth. I am genuinely telling you the truth. He's convicting you. In a moment, we're going to stand up and say, those of you that have been convicted and you're ready to give your life to Jesus Christ, avoiding hell is not the most altruistic of motives, but I don't care. <laughs> Thank you, Adam. You got that. <laughs> you come on and say, hey, I need God, and I don't want to go be separated from love and mercy and grace. I want to receive Christ today, and we'll receive you. Number one, he convicts of sin. Number two, the work of the Holy Spirit in the life of an unbeliever. One we believe, he regenerates and gives the new birth. Jesus said, John 3, 5, Nicodemus, you must be born again by the Spirit of God. Titus chapter 3, verse 5. Look at, look at this. Isn't this amazing? Fun. Woo! Not by works of righteousness, which we have done. But according to his mercy, he saved us. Watch this. Through the washing and palagenesis and renewing of the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit regenerates me. Palagenesis means he gives you a new nature. He takes out your sinfulness and he gives you the righteousness of Christ, and you are renewed. You're born again, and at that moment, you're sealed forever. And then God begins to work in you, and he begins to give you gifts, and he begins to bring you into his body, and it is an awesome way to live. It is the only way to live. Oh, Spirit of the living God, I pray that he falls fresh on you. One more thing, one more thing. Listen to this. He convicts, he regenerates, watch this, he convinces. He convinces. Listen, I can try all my, my heart's desire. I cannot convince any of you to do anything, especially those of you who don't know the Lord. But the Bible says the Holy Spirit, he is the ultimate evangelist. He convinces you of the truth of Christ. Listen to this word. Not by might. Not by power. Somebody please help me. But by my spirit, says the Lord. Last Saturday, I got on an airplane out of Austin, flew to Dallas. From Dallas, I flew to Philadelphia. Philadelphia freedom. No. There are no cowboy fans in Philadelphia. I promise you. And I'm sitting next to this tall guy, and man, I just have you ever had the Spirit of God just come upon you and say, talk to him? So I'm looking at this guy and I start talking to him. He says, Sir, I just want to stop you right there and let you know something. I am not a God fearing man. And I looked at him and I said, I've got great news for you. And it's not that you can save 15% on your car insurance. It wasn't that at all. 
I said, I got great news for you. God loves you. You don't believe in him, he believes in you. Jesus died for your sins. He arose from the dead. He's coming again, and God wants you to believe so that when you die, you go to heaven. And some of y'all are thinking, well, what did he do next? He hit you, didn't he? He just popped you. No. Listen, that's what the devil says will happen. Here's what happened. He looked at me and he said, you sound just like my best friend. My best friend is a Christian and he's been after me forever. My best friend told me not long ago, I'm going to heaven and I want you to go with me. And I said, how about that? Of all the people, ever how many hundreds of people on this plane, God put a Baptist preacher sitting right beside you to confirm what your friend has been telling you. It freaked him out. He's just like, oh, it's just freaky. It's freaked him out. He didn't pray to receive Christ. Landed the plane, preached the revival. Many people saved in this revival. I get on the plane out of Philly to go back to Dallas. Gee, Getting back into Texas. Man, I tell you, I like me some Texas. <laughs> Barbecue and Tex-Mex, amen, I just like it all. And, and I'm on this plane, and, and I sit next to this guy. Big, big kind of robust 40-year-old man sitting in his seat like this. And I sit down next to him, and, and, and I just start talking to him. And um, it didn't take me long to find out this guy was really interested in the things of God. And I began to talk to him about the Lord. He works at a credit union in Dallas. And, and I just said, can I ask you a question? Has there ever been a time in your life when you accepted Christ as your Savior? He said, I don't know. He said, sometimes I think I have, and I was raised a Catholic, and sometimes I really, I just don't know. So I reached in my pocket, and I, I had a steps to peace with God. And I leaned, I just leaned over to him and I said, read, read this. God loves you. You've sinned against the Lord and Jesus died for you. And a prayer here says you can commit your life to him. Would you like to pray that prayer? He said, yes, I would like to do that. I said, would you like to do it right now? He said, yes, I would. I said, go ahead and pray this prayer. 30,000 feet up in the air in American Airlines, this 40-year-old man from Dallas says, Dear God in heaven, I know I'm a sinner, and I need your son. Forgive me. When he prayed, man, I laid hands on him, and I prayed over him. Do you think I cared that people were watching? Do you think I cared that people were listening? Made me want to pray louder, and I just thanked God for him and, and praised the Lord for his salvation. Got his email, got his cell phone, and texted him this morning and said, Derek, I just want you to know I'm praying for you. Now let me say this to you. When God saved him, I did very, very little. All I did was tell him the gospel. Who do you think convinced him and convicted him? Here's his story. He goes, this is what he told me. Because I give him this line. Vicki, is that you out there? This is what I do. I give them this line. I say, you know what? I love Jesus, and I prayed before I got on this plane that God would put me in the seat that I'm supposed to sit in so that I can talk to somebody about the Lord. That freaks them out, freaks them out. They makes them nervous. And then I say, 
And then he said, you know what, that's really interesting because I tried to change my seat three times. <laughs> he said, I got, on the, I got on the internet and I saw the empty seats and he goes, every single time I had this feeling, don't sit there, don't sit there, don't sit there, sit here. Then he looked, he looked at me like, this is weird. I said, it's not weird. This is what you call a divine appointment. He gave his life to Christ. So let me tell you something, guys. The Holy Spirit of God is moving. Now, we at Great Hills, I'm so excited. I think we're just on the cusp, literally, of, of, a, of an awakening, of God just saving people in Austin. And I believe God's going to entrust them to our nursery because we're going to teach them the Bible and grow them up so that they will be bold, radiant followers of Christ. Okay? So, it's 12.15. I told y'all, you weren't getting out no 11.45, all right? But we're about to let you out. Hey, can I say this to you? I appreciate you, and I thank you for listening to me. I know I preach long sometimes, and I know um, it, it's hard for you, some of you, because you got ADD like me, and you just, you just, you just like, I just can't sit there long. I had this girl come up to me at the revival. She's 18 years of age. She said, Preacher, I've got ADD, and I love you. That's what she told me. She said, I just love you. And I was like, well, God bless you, sister. I love you too. We're birds of a feather. We flock together and suffer together. But I just want you to know, we do love you, and I praise God for you. And as happy as I was to preach that revival and to see that church has doubled in size, I couldn't wait to get back here because one day, Fred, we will double in size. And we will see the Lord do an awesome work. And you're going to come to me one day, and maybe 20 years from now, you're going to come to me and say, dude, I am so glad I hung in there. Look what God is doing. So let's pray together, all right? Y'all ready to pray? We'll have our invitation. Our pastors are starting on their way to come to the front. It's going to be a great day for some of you. You're going to receive the Holy Spirit of God. You're going to be born again. I, I just I believe it. I, I believe that some of you here today are saying, man, I need the Lord, and I am ready, and I don't care who knows about it. You'll want to come down the aisle and you'll want to take one of these pastors by the hand and say, count me in. I, I am ready to meet the Lord. Others of you today, I believe in my spirit. There are some of you here today who are saying, man, we, we want to be a part of this church. We want to use our gifts for the edification of the body of Christ at Great Hills Baptist Church. We want to come. Will you tell us how we can join this church? We will. You come. Others of you today, Followers of Christ, hey, listen, it's okay. You may want to just get up, get out of your seat, rush down this aisle, lay hold of this altar, and say, Oh, Holy Spirit of God, I recognize that I need you. I repent of my sins. I request you fill me now, and I receive your filling, Oh, Holy Spirit of God so that you conform me to the image of the Son of God, and that love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control are just manifested in my life. Oh, God, I am leaky. Oh, God, I do sin. And I'm asking you today on May the 5th, 2013, would you fill me to overflowing? And I ask you, God, to do it now. Would you do that? Some of you want to do that. You want to come to this altar, and you just want to pray and just ask God to do a supernatural work in your life. Father, we come before you today in Jesus' name. Through the wooing 
and the convincing of you, Holy Spirit. Awesome God that you are. One in three, three in one, Father, Son, Spirit, eternal God. We're going to stand in your honor in a moment. And we're going to worship you. Lord, I believe that some of us are going to be worshiping you so intensely. Their hands are going to be raised and tears may trickle down our face. And it will be like, God, it's just you and, and, and that one person in this room. Thank you, Lord, for those moments. Lord, I pray now for those you have spoken to. I ask you, God, to draw them. May they be unashamed. May they be filled with courage by you to say, I'm coming. And I'm going to give my life to Christ. I'm going to join this church. I'm going to get baptized. I'm all in. I am all in for Christ. Now, Lord, only you can do that. And so I'm asking you, God, to speak to them. And friend, let, let me say one more thing, and I'm going to close my prayer in the Lord's name. Here it goes. With your heads bowed, with your eye closed. In a few moments when I say in Jesus' name, amen, and you stand, listen to me carefully. What, just listen. If you will take your right foot and you will step, take one step toward God, the Holy Spirit will just blow you down this altar. It, it's amazing. God will do everything except take that first step. He always re reserves room for you to trust Him. He'll take you to the edge of the diving board, but you've got to jump in, all right? So when we stand and we say amen, trust me, step toward God. I mean, literally, walk out from where you are, walk toward this altar, and it will feel like a breeze just wafts you from heaven and you will come down to this altar, and there will be a pastor here. There will be a layperson here. There will be a deacon. There will be somebody here. We will receive you. We will pray for you. And we will encourage you today. All right? Woo. It's going to be good. It's going to be fun. Trust God. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen and amen. Would you stand with me, please? God bless you. Pastors are here. We're encouraging you to come. Come on, and we'll, we'll pray for you. We'll lead you to Christ. Brother Terry, you lead us. And God bless you as you come.